Hello and welcome to M-I-Z-G-T-D, your premier Missouri fantasy football podcast. But it's no longer the fantasy football podcast, it's the premier football podcast. We talked about the Super Bowl last week, this week we're going to do some draft coverage, and that's what we're going to do from here on out. Draft coverage heading up to the late April NFL draft. So it's draft season, baby. Are we ready for this? I'm ready, man. I'm, I couldn't be more excited. <laughs> <laughs> so Jacob has a pretty proficient background in draft coverage. Jacob, if you'd like to share some of that. Uh, <laughs> sure. I mean, so I currently write for the NFL draft on the side for DraftWire, which is a subsite blog for USA Today. And I've been there since 2018 now, so this is my third draft with them covering it. So the draft has been something I found very interesting since I was really young. So I'm excited that, you know, I get to talk about it more, especially now that the season's over. And, you know, I'm really excited for this podcast to dive more into draft stuff because that's, you know... That's always been an interest with me, and I'm really excited to you know dig in and talk with you guys. And Lucas, you yourself, you're you've been evaluating players this year. You've been digging deep into it. Yeah, no. So I got into the draft um, kind of late in during high school. Towards the end of high school, I started to get into the draft more. And you know, every year I, I did a little bit more. I would do a couple mock drafts, and this year I I just was ready to just dive in you know all the way and really you know have this podcast and really start to evaluate players for myself. So yeah, I've been watching some film. On some guys and, and and getting my getting my rankings, uh, positional rankings and and stuff down so that I can get the most accurate you know a, a field for what my opinions of these players are. So we're going to be evaluating players mostly for this year's draft. But right now we're going to evaluate some players from past drafts. We're going to look at the best and worst draft picks of the decade because we're in 2020 now. We can look back from 2010 to 2019 and officially say which ones were the best and which ones were the worst. So, Jacob, we'll start with you. What was your best draft pick of the decade? All right, so mine is – I had a little bit of trouble thinking about this one. There are a lot of really good picks over the past decade, but mine would have to go to Russell Wilson. Uh, he was a third-round pick in 2012. He was the uh, number 75th overall pick, and he fell because a lot of his size, because he measured in, you know, sub-six foot, doesn't necessarily have the biggest frame, but – a lot of the intangibles were there. I mean, he was a really intelligent quarterback. He was a good leader. He was accurate. He had a solid arm. He was athletic. I mean, he had a lot of the tools, and teams were a little bit, you know, scared off by his size, so that's what had him fall that far. Now you take a look at it. He's been in the league for nine years now. Seven Pro Bowls, 227 passing touchdowns, nearly 30,000 passing yards. You know, he's been absolutely fantastic for Seattle. And, you know, they made two Super Bowl appearances, and he's got the win. A franchise quarterback, if you get one of those guys outside of the first two rounds, that's definitely a steal. As for my worst pick, though, that's another one I had a little bit of trouble with. I almost went to bash my own Bears quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. (laughs) You had no idea how close I was to that. I had it written down and everything. Um, I'm not saying he's the answer, but he's definitely not the worst draft pick of the decade. I still think it's too early to tell. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree with you. But he's only three years in. Let's give him a little more time. The Mitch Trubisky talk, we'll say for another day. (laughs) Yeah, we'll dig into that again sometime soon. But for now, my worst pick would have to be Roberto Aguayo. Uh, Second round pick. (laughs) 2016 draft, 59th overall pick. So l- let me put this straight. The Buccaneers traded up 
in the second round to pick a kicker. <laughs> no, I mean, granted, he was a three-time first-team All-American kicker, but that's a kicker. That's a kicker. That's a guy who's barely on the field most of the time, and you know, only when he is, he can score one or three points. And I can, I will, I'll, I'll give him props for being willing to take a kicker that early because a kicker, I mean, look, the kickers are what lead points in the NFL. Like the, the highest scoring players are kickers because that's all they do. All they do is score. And having a good kicker is something that that I think is very important. And as you know, we've we've come to to learn. Uh, in this recent NFL, where there have been not that not as many good kickers yeah. as in the past, I, I agree with you that a kick having a good kicker is important. The problem is Rob, Roberto Aguayo was not a good kicker, no, and they no. drafted him in the second round, yeah, anyways. It, yeah, exactly, and and that's the issue. I I respect them going up to try and get their guy that early. You know, a kicker like that's not that's not very that's not, that's not something teams do very often. Take a kicker that high, but whatever evaluations of Robert Aguayo were made were very 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 wrong, and so yeah. I would, Jago, I'll definitely give you props there. He is definitely one of the worst picks. I'll start with my worst pick, since we're kind of on that track now. I gotta go with Trent Richardson, out of Alabama, drafted in 2012 by the Cleveland Browns. Isn't it fitting that the Browns would draft the worst, my worst player in the... (laughs) <laughs> because the Browns. I mean, you have a lot, to, a lot of options to choose from there with the Browns. Yeah. Oh man, you do. I mean, <laughs> they really have made some bad decisions. But Trent Richardson, his rookie year, 267 attempts, 950 yards, 3.6 yards per carry average. That one's okay. He also put up, I think, 11 touchdowns. Like the guy's big. The guy can get in the end zone, which is a very important skill for a running back. But man, he fell off after that year two okay after what three weeks just a few weeks he was traded to the indianapolis colts for a first round pick the colts were willing to give up a first round pick for trent richardson what did he do in year two 188 attempts 548 yards that's a 2.99 yards per carry average on a full season where he started most of the games this guy couldn't even reach three yards per carry as the number three overall pick Trent Richardson was a massive bust. He now, he went on to play in the AAF. I'm not sure if he's going to play in the XFL. I was a little surprised the team didn't pick him up after his AAF because even though he still could not break the three yards per carry mark, uh, I he was able to get into the end zone a lot. And so I figured a team would pick him up, and, and I think it's it's worth having that third string running back that can you know get into the end zone in goal line situations. Yeah, and the thing with Trent Richardson is he is a running back who requires a really good offensive line. I mean... All running backs, to some capacity, depend on their offensive line. But the good ones, you know, are able to make plays work regardless. Trent Richardson couldn't do that. You know, his first season was solid. Second season, once he got traded to Indianapolis, you know, Indy had terrible offensive lines, you know, early on in Andrew Luck's career. It took him until 2017 for Indy to actually feel the good old line. And I think that Richardson's flaws were exposed once he got traded to Indy. Because once he didn't have, you know, a very talented offensive line in front of him, he was essentially useless. And like you mentioned, you know, he struggled to get even three yards per carry, which, you know, that's not necessarily a very high benchmark to reach. Yeah, and the type of running back Trent Richardson is, is that very much pounded up the middle, get those dirty yards. And if he couldn't even manage to do that well, he's not going to be the guy who's going to bust off like, you know, average three yards per carry and then bust off a 50-yard run every once in a while to bring that mark up. No, but at the goal line, he does have some value. I'll give him props there. But at third, at number three overall in the NFL draft, especially taking 
spending that on a running back, which is not something done very much anymore, he was a massive, massive bust. For my best pick of this decade, it was a very recent pick. The 2017 draft, the Chiefs selected a quarterback at number 10 overall. That quarterback's name is Patrick Mahomes, and I'm a Chiefs fan, as I've said several times, so this it's a little bit of a biased take. But 2013, Andy Reid comes over to the Kansas City Chiefs. With him, he he gets Alex Smith away from San Francisco, and Alex Smith is good. You know, we had some good teams. We made the playoffs between 2013 and 2017. We made the playoffs all those years except for one. Won our division several times. But we can we could not win the playoff game. We could not get past the divisional round. We only ever made it there, I think, once. Mahomes put them over the top. Mahomes comes in rookie year, sits behind Alex Smith, learns, develops, comes in that Week 17 game, shows a lot of promise. Year two, 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns immediately. Puts him in the conversation with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. I mean, those are two pretty elite guys to be yeah. in the conversation with, especially at your first year as a starting quarterback. Wins the MVP, takes a team with the 31st overall ranked defense to the AFC Championship game, where he loses because of an offsides call and a coin flip. All right, because I think everyone agrees if that coin flip had gone to Kansas City, they would have been the ones in the Super Bowl. Oh, for sure. Year two, gets, gets a better defense. Not a great defense. Still, we're still talking probably middle of the road, although towards the end of the season, I might even argue a little bit higher than middle of the road. But Mahomes wins the Super Bowl, year two, Super Bowl MVP, because even though he didn't have his best game, he still managed to pull it together when it mattered. Patrick Mahomes is the best pick of this past decade. Okay, my worst pick also comes from the Cleveland Browns. As it should. As it should. <laughs> Explains why they were so terrible this decade. Lucas, I think you actually talked on MUTV the other day about how the Browns were the worst team out of any oh yeah out of any professional sports team, sports team yeah in or, the past or college sports team I mean they had the own 16 season they did not have a winning season once they only had two seasons without double digit losses those were seven and nine and seven eight and one and even this year when they were a dark horse Super Bowl candidate they go six and ten. Worst team of the decade. It's been a rough decade for the Cleveland Browns. Decade. It's been a rough two decades. One of those reasons, Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, <laughs> 22nd overall, only played two years, started only eight games in the NFL. Talk about a bust. Plus, the cost of that for the Cleveland Browns, because they're thinking, oh my gosh, we might have our quarterback here. We have a Heisman Trophy winner. He was not their quarterback. He was not. He, he was the opposite of their quarterback. <laughs> he, he was bad. So he was the worst pick in my opinion, of the decade. Best pick of the decade, Antonio Brown. A.B. in the sixth round. Really? really? Yeah. A.B.? A.B. in the... Yes. He's talented, but look at where he's at now. I mean, I know he got... He played Steelers. for 10 years. I know. The Steelers The Steelers got a lot out of him, but it's Antonio Brown. He's probably not going to be in the NFL again. I. Okay, he might not be in the NFL again, but when you're getting a sixth round value... I, I agree. I mean, that... you're, you're getting a player that played 10 years... Played 131 games over the course of those 10 years. Had over 11,000 receiving yards and 75 touchdowns. He was insane. He, he was, was a game changer. He had a, he had a half decade of Jerry Rice-like numbers. Yes, I mean, exactly. you know, I was just watching something earlier. They were talking about, I mean, he had a season with 1,400 yards, 1,600 yards, 1,800 yards. Then I think he went down to 1,200, then 1,500, then 1,200 again. I mean, yeah, he was insane. But... I, I disagree. Best draft pick of the decade. I got to disagree with you there because of where I mean, look where he's at now. Now he's done. Like like that. The was decade's it. over, Lucas. He played the entire decade. Okay. And that, he was the best receiver of that decade. That, I mean, by far. He he was a good pick. I'll give you that. But man, I can't I can't I can't agree to be with that with you that he was the best pick of the decade. 
I can't agree with you there. Well, he played for 10 years. Patrick Mahomes <laughs> has only played for two, realistically. Three, right, if you right, count right, the right. year that he sat we'll on see. the bench. Hey, so. We'll see. We'll see. You know who's still in the league, though, who's also played most of the decade? Russell Wilson. Okay. I stayed okay. my case. All right. All right. All right. Okay. okay. That's yeah. fair. That's a good one. All right. We're going to play a little game of Would You Rather. We've done this before, but this time we're going to do draft edition Would You Rather. So we're going to look at a couple of players, a couple of different positions. Where would you rather draft them at based on value alone? First, we're going to go Jeff Okuda, cornerback from Ohio State, projected to be a top five pick this year. Would you pick him in the top five? Or would you prefer to wait and have a late first round pick and pick Christian Fulton, the cornerback from LSU? Jake, we're going to start with you. All right, so... I think I'm going to have to go Okuda here because I think that the cornerback position is still... A lot of people don't realize exactly how valuable it is yet. I think when I look at the salary cap numbers and how much people are spending, I think teams should be spending a lot more at the cornerback position because in today's passing league, you need someone who can guard those receivers. We've seen what guys like Stephon Gilmore can do, what Jalen Ramsey, what other you know elite cornerbacks, Marshawn Lattimore, guys like that. We've seen what they can do for their defenses and I think Jeff Okuda can be that guy. I think he's far and away the top cornerback in this class. I think there's a significant drop-off there. Fulton's a good player, don't get me wrong. I think he's fluid. I think he's you know got overall good athleticism. But I think Okuda is the real deal. I think he's literally everything you want in a corner. He's lengthy, athletic, physical, smart, everything. And top five, I get it. It might be a little bit high to draft a defensive back. I think he's worth it. I think he's the type of guy you go... For a home run, I think he's locked down cornerback potential. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think Akuda is is a very very talented cornerback, and but one thing we don't talk about with Christian Fulton is he wasn't even the cornerback one on his team. He wasn't even the guy who went up against those top receivers because they had what Derek Stingley Jr. Yeah. I think is his name, the freshman for LSU who was insane. Who when he declares for the draft will be in the top five conversation, no doubt in my mind. And so I'd agree. I don't necessarily – I'm a little hesitant when it comes to Fulton because of that reason, because he wasn't the one going up against the Jerry Judys, the CeeDee Lambs, because he wasn't the best cornerback on that team. So, you know, let's, let's use the Lions for an example. The Lions have the number three overall pick, and in most mock drafts they have them picking Jeff Okuda. There are a lot of quarterback-needy teams in this draft, including – the Los Angeles Chargers at number six overall, which is directly below Miami. What if, let's say, LA decides Justin Herbert's not who they want. They don't want to end up with Justin Herbert. They want they want Tua, and you know that Miami is is eyeing Tua. I mean, that's been I think I, a pretty pretty widely known in most mock drafts. They have them taking Tua. Do you consider trading back with the Chargers? Okay, you still get that sixth overall pick, or or even later. I mean, there are some other needy teams that are later on. Do you consider for the Lions trading down? And instead of getting, you know, Jeff Okuda, do you consider maybe getting Christian Fulton, but also having another, you know, for maybe having another first round pick this draft or another first round pick like next draft, and then you can get more guys and, and, and be able to build that team. Okay, moving on quarterbacks now. Tua or Love? So Tua is going to be a top five pick, but he's battling that injury. We're not sure exactly what we're going to get out of him injury wise. Is he still going to be the sensational quarterback that we think he's going to be or do you wait later in the draft to get that to get that I guess franchise quarterback is what we're going to put it as 
Um, Tua is a little bit of a question mark right now. Tua Tagovailoa, you know, with that injury, we're, we're still waiting to see where he's going to be at. If he returns to form in Alabama, no doubt in my mind, you go for Tua at top five instead of Love, who's, who's still probably going to be a first-round pick. You know, and we can argue whether that's warranted or not. I personally like Love. He's my, I think, fifth quarterback overall. Um, I think he should probably be a day two pick. I don't think he'll fall to day two because typically these things are, are you know, even though he's raw, he's got the potential and all the talent to be uh, a franchise quarterback and an elite quarterback like a Patrick Mahomes or a, a, a Matthew Stafford or, or something like that. But if Tua is healthy and back to form, you got to go with Tua. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think two is the pick uh, between those two. And, you know, like we mentioned already, there's a lot of question marks surrounding Tua. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with his injury, whether the medicals are going to come out clear. But if you take a look at the tape, I mean, he's been playing at a very high level, you know, his entire collegiate career. You know, stepped in freshman year was great. Sophomore year was great. Junior year was fantastic before he got hurt. He's been consistent. He's been good. He is pretty much essentially all of the tools. He could be a little taller. He's only 6'1". Other than that, the athleticism, the accuracy, the arm strength, the leadership skills, the uh, intelligence. I think Tua is genuinely pretty close to you know the full, well-rounded quarterback that you would take that early. With Jordan Love, obviously, like you mentioned, the tools are there. You know, he's a big guy. He's got a cannon of an arm. He's a good athlete. He's shown flashes of incredible deep ball placement. And he's shown a full season of incredible plays. Junior season, 30 touchdowns, six picks. Exactly. And the one thing, though, that kind of worries me is this past season, taking a look at how he's regressed. You know, like you mentioned, the last season, 32 touchdowns, six picks. The 2019 season, 20 touchdowns, 17 picks nearly tripled his interception uh, production. And that's not against, you know, that's not in the Power 5 division. That's in the Mountain West. That's not necessarily elite, you know, always NFL caliber talent that you're going up against there. So I think, you know, the tape shows mentally, I think he's regressed a little bit. And I think that's a bit of concern because he forces throws and, you know, he's got a lot of room to develop and grow. Upside's there, but I think that's too big of a risk. That's why I'm going to go Tua. Even with the injury, I think he's still the safer prospect. Yeah, and to be fair to Love, he did lose a little bit of talent. I mean, Darwin Thompson declared for the draft, uh, and he, you know, he lost a little bit more. And so I think that did add to it. But yeah, the, the regression is definitely concerning. How do we feel about Love to the Patriots late in the first round of 23 Ooh. to replace Tom Brady? I could see that. I, I like that. I'd be a little surprised by it. I think Bill Belichick would take Fump over Love. I okay. personally like Love more than I like Fromm, but... You know, if we're going to talk about, like, the types of quarterbacks Bill Belichick and the Patriots team have drafted in recent history, I would not expect them to take love. Yeah, that's true. Like, taking a look at the guys they've drafted, like, you know, Jared Stidham, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, guys like that. You know, I think that Fromm fits that mold a little bit better than Love does. But if Love is the pick, I, you know, I trust, you know, Bill Belichick and that, you know, that coaching staff. I trust their ability to coach him up. I think that could be, you know, worth a pick in the first round if they truly think that Brady's either going to leave or if Brady's, you know, only got like one or two more years on him. I agree 100%. Wide receiver class this year, absolutely stacked. It's extremely deep. How do we feel about the difference between the value we can get in round one versus using your round one pick on a different position and waiting until day two for a wide receiver this year? 
I absolutely love this wide receiver class. I take a look at it, you know, that all the top guys, I think there are five guys to me that stand out as true, legitimate first-round guys, and there are also a handful of other players who could sneak into the first round as well. It's a really talented class with a handful of potential 1,000-yard receivers in this group. That said, though, I'd have to wait until day two, unless you get an opportunity to draft a guy like CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy or something like that, I think you're better off waiting until day two because I don't think the drop-off is incredibly steep there. I think you could still get a guy like Penn State's KJ Hamler, who's electric and dynamic. You could get someone like Justin Jefferson, you know, Van Jefferson you know, from LSU and Florida, respectively, uh, like Colin Johnson, potentially Jalen Rager, Tyler Johnson. You know, The list goes on and on. There are so many talented guys you can get in the second and third rounds in this class. And I think that unless, you know, your wide receiver is truly the best player available, I think you could be better off, you know, waiting another round because there are a lot of guys who can be maybe not true number one receivers, but solid complementary pieces to a superstar who I think can be, you know, quality receivers in this league. So I think unless you have an opportunity to go for a home run pick, I say wait until they two. I think it's a very deep class. And I love this class. Like you said, everybody loves this class. I could see seven or eight wide receivers going in the first round. And, and that, that's a little high. But, I mean, that's just, just just how good this class is. It's insane. You know, and I'm, I was asking Jacob before the show, I was like, who is the day two pick? Because we've got guys like, like you know, you'd consider day two picks Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, uh, even, you know, Jalen Rieger, LaVisca Chenault. But in some mock drafts, they're going in the first round which is insane, but I do have to say, if you have the chance to take a C.D. Lamb or a Jerry Judy, do it. I would even consider trading up for him, even though this is a deep class, and I believe there are a lot of wide receiver ones in this class. C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy are both insane talents. Jerry Judy's ability to run routes at the level that he does at this stage in his career, I mean, he's gonna come into the NFL. He's got such a high floor. He's gonna immediately be a wide receiver one. He's gonna immediately put up a thousand yard season if he gets the opportunity to do that. CeeDee Lamb, he's he's a DeAndre Hopkins type player. I mean, he's physical, he's rough, he's got great hands. And when he catches that ball, look out, because he's gonna run you over. He's not got the, he doesn't have the blazing speed of a lot of guys like a Tyree Kill or, or, or something like that, but CeeDee Lamb is gonna be a wide receiver one and you will be talking about him for years to come. Lucas, you were talking a little bit before the show about how you're not as high on Jerry Judy as some other guys. Right there, you just gave him a bunch yeah. of praise. What reasons are you not as high? So Jerry, Jerry Judy, Judy Jerry Judy right now is my third-ranked receiver. I actually have T. Higgins at number two, which is not a very popular pick right now. I like T. Higgins a lot. But Jerry Judy, from an athletic standpoint, is not anything super special. I mean, he's, he's obviously got very good hands. He's got good speed, he's got good agility, but none of that like jumps off the page. When I watched him, none of it jumped off the page. What did jump off the page though was his route running. And even though I have him at my number three receiver, I still believe he is he, he warrants a potential top 10 look because of the route running, because of his high floor. His ceiling is a little bit lower. And I know a lot of the times with those top 10 picks, you wanna go with a guy whose ceiling is very, very high. Makes sense. But his route running abilities, I mean, they're only going to improve, and they're already arguably the best out of any receiver to come out of college in a long time. I mean, that's fair, and I think that you make a good point there that his upside maybe isn't as high 
as someone like C.D. Lamb or even Henry Ruggs, who's you know a blazing fast athlete. But I think Judy, in his own right, does have a high ceiling. One, guy, I'm not one normally for player comparisons, but one guy I actually see some of in Jerry Judy is Odell Beckham Jr. And I think you know with the ability to separate, you know, the body control, you know, he's not a blazing like four two athlete, but he's a good athlete. And I think that you know he might not have the highest ceiling out of all the receivers, but he's still a high floor guy who can I think consistently top a thousand yards and potentially be a perennial top ten receiver in the league. So that I mean, that's why I have him at number one. But then again, there are also a lot of talented guys like you know I'm high on Lamb, Rugs. Higgins, Chenault, those type of guys. I think Judy can be a stud, and I, I'm fine with you know, picking him that early if that's the case. But I'd still you know don't forget about those day two receivers. It's a really good class this year. Okay, we are going to now move towards breaking down some teams and team needs. This is going to be a recurring segment on our show from here on out here until draft day. We're going to go division by division and we're going to break down different team needs. So we're going to start with the AFC North this week, and then we'll move on next week. I'm going to start. I've got the Bengals. This is the team I'm going to break down. We each picked different teams. I've got the Bengals. I think they need to draft Joe Burrow. I think that's a pretty consensus pick right there. The Heisman winner, consensus 100%. overall 100%. number one. Burrow's Possibly one in. of the best quarterbacks we've seen in a while to come out of college. One of the most NFL-ready quarterbacks to come out of Without college a doubt. in a while. Yeah, no question. I would I would argue that Burrow's the best quarterback prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck. I, uh, I'm i going to disagree with you there. I think Burrow is the most NFL-ready quarterback prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck. But I don't, I mean, from a talent standpoint, like, he's got, you know, B-plus arm talent. You know, he's athletic, but he's not like, uh, he's not like a Kyler Murray. He's not like a Lamar Jackson type athlete. But what he does have is a very, very, very high football IQ and the ability to make all the throws and make them very accurately. So you can basically say the Bengals at this point, though, other than maybe the running back position with Joe Mixon. Uh, they have Tyler Boyd, too, who's a pretty decent receiver. Other than that, they pretty much are not very good. They have nothing. Yeah. Everywhere yeah. else. They're pretty <laughs> terrible. So you sort of need to surround Joe Burrow at this point with almost every other position. They could lose A.J. Green to free agency this year. They're going to lose Andy Dalton, so... No other quarterbacks on the roster. I'm not saying they need another quarterback. But you need to protect your franchise quarterback once you got him. So once they got Joe Burrow, I think you need to go offensive line, offensive tackle specifically for the Bengals, and then work around, build an offensive line for Joe Burrow. And then I think they should also look at the wide receiver position, maybe in the third or fourth round, considering the draft class is so deep on receivers this year. So that's what I've got for the Bengals. Lucas, you have the Ravens. Yes, I'm going to move on to the Ravens. Those are some good points, Jack. It's unfortunate for the Bengals that they don't need more wide receivers because wide receivers probably what they have the best of right now with Tyler Boyd there and, and Auden Tate, who really kind of turned it on at the end of the season because of how deep this wide receiver class is. But they definitely should take a look at it. Moving on to the Ravens, the Ravens do not have many needs. I mean, a team that goes 14-2 and two doesn't have many needs. You know, I don't think they're going to need a quarterback for a very long time, unless, obviously, Lamar Jackson gets injured with his rushing. He is the MVP for a reason. He's insane, and he will eventually get them over the hump in the playoffs. I do believe in him. What they do need to look at, they need to look at edge rusher. Even this past season, with how good that defense was, they weren't top tier in regards of rushing the quarterback. And not necessarily rushing the quarterback, but just from, from the edge position rushing the quarterback. Matt Judon, who was their top 
rusher this past season, is a free agent now. Now, the Ravens have a low draft pick because they were, you know, they were in the divisional round. So a guy that I think they should look at at their position is Yatur Gross-Matos out of Penn State. He's got all the tools to be a very, very talented pass rusher. And I think that the Ravens, and he will, I think he will be there when the Ravens pick at 26. No, 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 no. They're later than that. At, in the late 20s. They, I, I think he'll be there. Uh, I would also think that the Ravens should consider trading up for him if it turned out to be necessary. Another position to need for the Ravens is that inside linebacker position. They really do not have any big names at that position. And a guy they can look at who will, who will definitely be on the board whenever they draft is Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma. The inside linebacker position is not getting a lot of love in this draft class. You know, last year you had Devin Bush, you had Devin White, who were both very, very high picks, you know, fifth overall, tenth overall, and they were both very good. This year, the inside linebackers, there's not much in the way of, of, of top picks there, and, and, you know, the potential first-rounders are very limited, but Kenneth Murray is a guy I definitely think they should look at. Okay, Jacob, you have both the Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers, so we'll start with the Browns. What do the Browns need? Offensive line. I mean, literally any position along the offensive line. Left guard, outside of uh, outside of left guard, actually. Joel Matonio is very good. Left tackle, center, right guard, right tackle. Everything, essentially, the Browns need on that offensive line. It's a very weak unit. I think they need to protect Baker Mayfield the best of their abilities because they believe they have a core franchise quarterback, finally, and they need to do everything they can to surround him with talent. They have the weapons. They just need the O-line. So that's why in the first round, I think they've got to go a line unless there's some, you know, insane value that late. Like, I don't know. I couldn't even think of one. But I'd specifically look for a tackle because it's a very talented offensive tackle class. You know, we're looking at, like, Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. I think any of those guys, you know, that early, I believe they picked ninth. I think they would all be very good, you know, value that early in the first round. And, you know, given how big of a need it is and how good of a class it is, I think that's a no-brainer. you got to pick one of those three guys. Now, with the Browns, you take a look at their secondary. They've got two good young cornerbacks in Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams. That safety position is looking pretty weak. I think they need to find at least another starter in this class. I don't think they'll find one in round one. I don't think there's a talent worth taking in the top ten. You know, Grant Delpit fell off a little bit this year with his tackling issues, but he'll still be gone by the time round two comes around. So you're looking at guys like Xavier McKinney from Alabama. You know, Antoine Winfield is a guy I really like. Antoine Winfield Jr., actually. You know, the son of the veteran quarterback uh, corner, rather, for the Vikings. He's also out of Minnesota. I think he can be a stud in this league. Ashton Davis from California is another one. It's a very good day two safety class, I believe. And I think any of those guys would be good picks in the second round for Cleveland who need at least a handful more young guys before I think they can actually reach that next step that a lot of people thought they'd reach this past season. Now on to the Steelers. We're saving this for last. They don't have a first round pick, but they do have a handful of positions they could go and a couple of directions they could follow here. One of those, I think, is offensive tackle, specifically right tackle. I think left tackle, Alejandro Villanueva is a good tackle, but right tackle is a bit of an alarming position for them right now. I think that whoever their you know future quarterback is, you know, Roethlisberger, assuming he comes back next year, they need to protect him. They need to make sure he has a clean pocket. So I think, you know, considering they don't pick until round two, 
you're missing out on those top guys. So you're looking at maybe Austin Jackson from USC, Lucas Niang from TCU. Uh, Trey Adams is another one I like out of Washington. You know, he was supposed to be a first-round pick in 2018, but two consecutive major injuries, you know, he sat out for, you know, like 2018 and then most of 2019 injury, came back, was healthy for most of this past year. I think he can still be an early pick due to his, you know, talent regardless of his uh, injury history. And then the other one I have for them is edge rusher. You know, Bud Dupree's coming off of a good season alongside TJ Watt for Pittsburgh, but he's a free agent this offseason, and you don't necessarily know if they're going to keep him, if they're going to pay big money with other contracts coming off the books. If Dupree does leave in free agency, I could see Pittsburgh looking for an edge rusher alongside Watt with one of those second-round picks. You know, Dupree's an athletic guy, so you're looking at guys who can fit that prototype, like Julian Okwara from Notre Dame. Terrell Lewis from Alabama, Josh Uche from Michigan, who had a fantastic senior bowl year. And I think he's uh, a potential to potentially rise up into day two. So any of those guys I think would be good value uh, in the second round for the Steelers who could look to find some additional pass rusher help to a defense that was already pretty solid last year. All right. So any final thoughts, guys? I agree, I think. Oh, actually, I did have a question for you, Jacob. Yeah, you sure. mentioned that you didn't think there was a safety worth taking in the top 10. What about Isaiah Simmons? I know it's a question on whether he's going to play safety or linebacker, but do you think he would be worth taking in the top 10? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I said that assuming that Isaiah Wilson's going to be a linebacker. If you want to move him at safety, that's fine. I think he's got more than enough athleticism to do so. And if you want him to be there, then yeah, I would say there is a safety, you know, worth taking in the top 10. I think Simmons is going to be a stud. I really don't know if we've seen a player with this size, this athleticism, this physicality, this intelligence, who can play literally anywhere on the field. I mean, it's unparalleled for as long as I've been watching talent, you know. Maybe Derwin James, but I'd argue uh, Simmons is potentially even more versatile than that. Wow. It's... And that's high praise considering yeah. mm-hmm. how... James is great. I yeah. Mean, he was in college, and he is in the NFL, and he fell pretty far. I mean, and, and which was something I don't think people saw coming just because I think he was he was pretty much thought of as a top 10 guy, and he proved that he really is a top 10 guy. I agree. Isaiah Simmons is an excellent pick, and I think that whatever team gets him will have a defensive stud for a decade. All right, so I think that's going to do it all for us here at M-I-Z-G-T-D your premier Missouri football podcast. We're going to keep doing draft coverage right up until the NFL draft. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm Jack McGrath alongside Lucas Parrish and Jacob Infante. Once again, this has been M-I-Z-G-T-D.